Matthew 22, verse 34. And see here, another one of those, uh, those times where people are trying to trip up Jesus, trying to catch him in some kind of falsehood. And leading up to this, you see the, 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 the Pharisees trying to catch him in some tax question. And then the Sadducees talking to him about the resurrection, which they didn't even believe in in the first place. And now you come to verse 34 in Matthew 22. It says this. When the Pharisees heard that he, being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Key word, there's a command. When you see the command, that means that you need to do this. It's not optional. And so what Jesus is pulling from here is out of Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And why that's important, you'll find that's when the Israelites had recently been freed and delivered from the Egyptian captivity, and now they're in the wilderness. They're given the Ten Commandments, and then you come to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and it says this, Listen, Israel. I don't know if you caught it in uh, the opening welcoming announcements. You referenced to listen means action. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that's key for us to understand. Because what is being said here is that there's only one God and no others, and your total allegiance is due Him and no one else. You just came out of a land filled with all kinds of gods. Those are all nothing. There's only one true God who's above everything all the time, always, and He deserves your undivided devotion. Then verse 5. In Deuteronomy 6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this with all your heart concept is not what we take it for today. It's not just emotions. This is emotions. It's intellect. It's a change of your mind. It's your whole being. It's your attitude. It's your thinking. And so when it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, this is the command saying, you are to love God with everything, all that you have. And so that's our first point that we're looking at today, is out of the great commandment we see Jesus talking through into in Matthew 22, is love the Lord your God. It's not optional. We are commanded to love. And so I'm going to submit to you that even though it's a command to love, it's actually our privilege to love the one true God, the creator of all things, the sustainer, the life giver. We have the privilege and the joy to love this God. I'm going to say this, and maybe it's, I'm talking about those people out there. Surely it's not us here at Red Lane, but those people, there's some shallow people out there. There are some shallow people. Because here's the deal. Oftentimes, and maybe it's true in your own life, to love someone, you have to be shown some kind of love first. I'll just be completely transparent. I don't believe at love at first sight. 
I don't think that's a thing. I believe at lust at first sight. My wife, that, that was lust at first sight. I'm just going to be, I'm just where I was. But I groaned to love her because she is a loving individual, caring individual. And as I got to know her, I couldn't help but to love her. I said I couldn't help but to because she is awesome. And so as I got to know her, I grew to love her. Does that make sense? It's going to be important here in a second. Because we just don't fall in love. You grow to love someone. You have to know someone, I'm convinced, to love them. With the exception of, and I think this is the closest that we can come to understand how God loves us. To those who have ever had a child, and as Pastor Taylor mentioned, I have five of them. My youngest is seven months. I'm 39. When you start doing the math on that, that's a little scary. I digress. When each of my children were born, the moment I saw them, I was in love. The moment I saw them, I knew I loved them unconditionally. No matter what they were going to do, no matter who they were going to be, my love would never change. What did they ever do for me at that point? Absolutely nothing. In the coming days, weeks, and months, matter of fact, they'll be keeping us up. They'll be crying. They'll be whining. It's all needy. It's all what I can do for them. Very selfish, right? These kids, very selfish. But I loved them, and that love would never change. I'm convinced that's the closest that we can come to understanding how God loves us. That unconditional love that doesn't change. And so, Romans 5, if you want to turn there, we're going to look at that for a minute. Romans 5, because we're going to look at what the love of God looks like very practically. And to understand God's love, we have to understand who we are. Because that makes God's love even more beautiful, even more astounding, amazing. And it drives us to understand the privilege to love this one true God. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. It says some, some hard things. So hopefully you came in here with some maybe some steel-toed shoes on, boots, because this is some hard words. But we need to hear it, and we need to be reminded of our standing before a holy God. Romans 5, verse 6 says, For a while we were still helpless. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely someone will die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me just pause just for a second, because already we, this is a we thing, we're called helpless, we're called ungodly, and we were called sinners. This is who we are. Verse 9, how much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by what does it say? All the good stuff you do? Because you're a good person? Because you deserve it? You were declared righteous by his blood. We will be saved through him from wrath. This is crucial for us to get. We were helpless, ungodly, sinners. Can't do anything to deserve to be saved from the wrath of God that we deserve. Because God's righteous 
and we are not yet through the blood of Jesus, we're declared righteous. Verse 10 says, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? We have been saved from God's wrath because of the sacrifice of God. He took our place because we were helpless, ungodly, unrighteous, sinners, enemies, hostile to God. He stepped in and took our place and saved us from the wrath that we deserved through faith. Through faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 11 continues, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. The term reconciliation means there's two enemies, they're hostile towards each other, but someone or something steps in and brings two parties back together in peace. And that's what Jesus did on our behalf. We were enemies of the one true God, but yet God stepped in and did something about it. He reconciled us to himself. And to take this a step further, this is interesting and maybe disturbing and somewhat disgusting. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this. All of us, all of us, it's interesting, in, in Hebrew, the all of us means all of us. It took me years to figure that out. All of us has become like something unclean. Okay, so that's not clear enough. Takes it a step further. And all of our righteous acts, also known as good things, the good things we try to do, all of our righteous acts are like polluted garments. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Now that polluted garments, our good deeds, righteous acts, those polluted garments, maybe your translation says filthy rags. What that really means is dirty minstrel rags. Yeah, a little disgusting. Why? That's what our good deeds are the best that we can put forward are like filthy rags, polluted garments in the sight of a holy God. But there's good news. 1 John 4. I love this passage because this illustrates the love of God and the privilege it is and how we can love this one true God. 1 John 4, 8 through 10 says this. The one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. If that's not underlined, highlighted, asterisk in your Bible, probably should be. God is love. When it says God is something, it's probably pretty important, yes? God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
We love because God first loved us. So again, I submit to you, yes, we're commanded to love, but it is our absolute joy and privilege to be able to love and have this personal, intimate relationship with the one true God that did everything he could possibly do so that you could live for and with him starting right now and forever. This is good news. We were separated because of sin, helpless, ungodly, unrighteous, yet through the blood of Jesus, you have been declared righteous. This is good news. It's our joy to love God. And through that love of God, we can't help to love others. So if you're a note taker, the second thing we're going to touch on is loving others. Love of God in us flows naturally to loving those around us. So again, back to the great commandment, Matthew 22. Again, he said, verse 37, he said to him, Love, Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And he continues in verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Pretty important. Probably should take note. Love God, loving your neighbors. And so who is your neighbor? I'm glad you asked. In Luke 10, that same question was asked. And you can turn there. Luke 10, verse 25. Again, the expert in the law is talking to Jesus. In Luke 10, verse 25, verse 25 says this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, him being Jesus, to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, like a lot of the answers Jesus gives, it's just interesting how he gets to answer this question. So, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus asked, well, what's written in the law? So this guy, this man, he, he answers in verse 27, Love, Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. It's interesting, right? Because we know that eternal life is through faith alone. Yet the love of God has a transforming effect to where that faith is now lived out for God's glory and for others' good. Do this and you will live. Then verse 29, maybe like many of us, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. No, he didn't say that, but he answers it in verse 30. He says, Jesus took up the question and said, like in true Jesus fashion, he gives a parable, a story, parable to illustrate and to teach a point. So this story parable, he tells him, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. Now let me give some context here. This was a 
a path that was commonly traveled, a long path, and known to be a little dangerous because of the remoteness of it. Verse 31, he says, a priest. Now a priest, those were the, the holy people, right? Those were those people that were just so holy and righteous and knew everything about the law, and they were the priests. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, this man that was beaten up, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, I know it says road here. So when you think of this passage, when you're reading through this, and you hear the word road, do you think this 20-foot wide street? And so as he's going down this 20-foot wide path, the priest sees him, just crosses the street, and then goes to the other side. If you're like me, I thought about that in that way for a long time. But then when you look what this road really looked like, it's a path. And sometimes in the path, a very narrow path. So when it says cross by on the other side, likely it could have been, it wasn't like just walking around 20 feet and around the guy. It was more like stepping over this guy that has been left for half dead and walking on. So he's proven a point here, just the callousness, right, that that would take of this priest. But then he goes on, Jesus, in verse 32, he says, in the same way, a Levite. Now, Levites perform the, the duties within the temple. A Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan. Now, if you're not familiar with the tensions of the day, Samaritans and Jews did not associate well at all. Racism at its core. They hated each other. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Then he asks a question. Jesus says this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I can almost picture this expert in the law answering this question with somewhat of a callousness or timidity when he says, the one who showed mercy to him, the Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, what was the original question the guy asked? As loaded as it was, and probably he didn't really want to hear the answer, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do this. Have compassion. Love your neighbor. And this is what loving your neighbor looks like. He says, go and do the same. Now, I want to pause for a second and think about our daily routines. We are busy folks, right? What would you have to do to love your neighbor well? Who's your neighbor, right? Is it the person that lives right next door to you? Yes. Is it the person that lives in Goochland County? Yeah. Is it those people who live in the remotest parts of the earth? To the ends of the earth? 
Yeah. Your neighbor is literally everyone. So what would it look like practically in your daily life? What would you have to carve out to be able to love your neighbor well? Because listen, you're going to have to carve out something. Something has to give because we are so loaded and packed in our schedules, we oftentimes don't leave any margin. Is it worth it? I would say yes. It's commanded to love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but I love me some me. It's easy to love myself. I do a lot of things for myself. What would that look like if we took that same love we have for ourselves and loved our neighbors in that way? That sacrificial love. What would that look like? And this isn't for the super Christians. This expectation standard command is for every follower of Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus is commanded to love your neighbor. Not optional. But I go back to our point number one. Loving God has a natural outflow of loving others. When we see what God did for us, when we were helpless, ungodly, unrighteous, and yet he died for us so that we can live for him, how could we not also sacrificially live and love others? So again, did all my research and sermon prep for this time this morning. I was looking up love, and I found the authority on love. John Cena. Those don't know who John Cena is? Well-known wrestler? A superior actor now. They had an ad campaign run recently that he starred in. It, it was Love Has No Labels was the ad campaign. He says this, this year, patriotism, patriotism shouldn't just be about pride of country. It should be about love. Love beyond age, disability, sexuality, race, religion, and any other labels. Cena says, because the second any of us judge people based on those labels, we're not really being patriotic, are we? To love America is to love all Americans, because love has no labels. Now, at one level, I'd say, amen. Yeah, absolutely. At another level, I see all kinds of agendas packed in here. I just can't help. That's where we are as a culture, right? And so when I was listening, I'm like, yeah, that, at a surface level, yes. Love it. Because, thank God, we had a label that God erased. We were labeled, again, ungodly, unrighteous, helpless, sinners. But God erased that through the blood of Jesus but love doesn't mean always condoning. I love this passage, love. I love this passage found in John 8 when the religious leaders found this woman caught in adultery. And they bring him to Jesus and they say, listen, Jesus, the law says that we should stone her for this sin. What do you say? And the words that still ring true today, those without sin cast the first stone. Then he kneels down and starts writing in the sand. And there's this question that's usually asked. If you had one question to ask God, what would you ask him? I'm going to ask him, what were you writing in the dirt? Also, I want to know, what were you writing in the dirt? And he looks back up in John 8, verse 10 says, When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you also known as, you're forgiven, yes? Is that where the conversation stopped? 
No. Neither do I condemn you. And Jesus said, go from now on and do not sin anymore. Listen, loving others involves difficult conversations. Then say, yeah, you're forgiven. Yeah, forgive, but don't do it anymore. Like sin is sin is sin. So yes, God has a standard. And he is a forgiving, gracious, loving God. He's also just and righteous. Go and sin no more. We make a big deal of love in our culture. But usually that means accepting everything and not judging anyone. We're called as Christians to judge, but not in a way that's condemning. That's not our role to condemn. But we're called to judge the fruit, right? So love has no labels, yet it doesn't mean accepting everyone all the time with just wide open arms at a a deeper level, right? Yes, accept, love people, but not condoning. Does that make sense? I just feel as a culture, we're going down a road that's just that condones everything. Yeah, you're fine. You don't need to change. That's not what Jesus said. That's not who God is. But praise God, he's a forgiving, just, gracious, loving God. So, Love, love your enemies. Matthew 5, 43 and 44, Jesus says this, You have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're talking about loving others. Who are those others? They're the sinners. They're adulterers. There's the least of these, which we are as well. The difference maker is Jesus. There are enemies there are those people that hate you. You see some atrocities that are being done in the nations to Christians. But we're still called to love those people and to pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. We're called to love one another. When you see the love one another in the New Testament, usually talking about other brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving one another, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, I give you a new command a.k.a. not optional. A new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now here's the kicker. Verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. That is impactful for me. And when we were starting to go down the path of praying and discerning and seeing what does the way church look like lived out, This is what drove us to heavily emphasize small group ministries in homes. Because I want those around us to be able to see how we love one another and be invited in to our homes. Because they will know us by our love. There's a beautiful thing that happens when we gather together as a church. We come in here, all different backgrounds, history, baggage, ethnicities, ages, and yet we all are unified because of Christ Jesus. That's powerful. In a world that's so divisive, with people like us coming together and can love one another well, because of Christ Jesus, people are looking and seeing that, and that's powerful. They will know you by your love for one another. But it's hard. We all come from different viewpoints and backgrounds and I'm convinced God command us to love one another because it's difficult. And we have to rely on God to be able to love one another well. I believe it's our sin at our, at our core that causes that issue. There's a story about 
This biker woke up, woke up one morning after a binger, woke up early, smelling like just alcohol, and decided to go to church. He felt some level he needed to go to church, so he did. He walked into a church building, came in, people gave him a funny look, long hair, tattoos, t-shirt, ripped jeans, didn't smell great. People steered clear, he sat down in the pew, people moved away from him, and the preacher was talking about loving your neighbor. And so he enjoyed it, he enjoyed the songs, he enjoyed the sermon, stayed through the whole thing, enjoyed it so much, he wanted to make a point to go talk to the pastor after him, shake his hand. So he did, pastor, loved your sermon, thank you. Pastor said, oh, glad you're here, but listen, before you come next time, I want you to pray what God would have you to wear when you come next time. So he went home. He came back the next Sunday. Still dressed the same way, yet not smelling like alcohol like the previous Sunday. Stayed through the whole thing, and this time it's like the pastor was looking for him. And so the pastor found him, came up to him. He says, listen, I thought I told you to pray about what you would wear before you came back this time. He said, Pastor, I did. God said he didn't know because he had never been here. I don't think that's a true story. But it played out in our lives. It's, it's funny because I came across that story and that was my dad. My dad uh, was raised in California, uh, was a biker, six foot three, pretty big guy, long hair, tattoos on his face, neck, sleeve tattoos. Uh, didn't have a lot of money, but God saved him. God saved him, and so he started going to church, at least trying to. And that's what the reception that he often got, even though he didn't smell like alcohol, people stayed away from him. And so after a while of trying new churches, trying to see where he fit in, and wasn't welcomed, he ended up stopped going to church. Stayed reading the scriptures, but stopped going to church because he looked different. That's a shame, and that's a reality. And what I'm calling us to do as the universal church, the local church, is to love others. And what that looks like is getting uncomfortable sometimes. It's easy to come together when we're all so much alike. But God doesn't call us to the people not only that are like us, but also and to those that are not like us. Because we get this picture in Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10, of what it will look like at some point. It says in Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before God, they were clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in one voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne, throne and to the Lamb. You see the diversity here. Why wait until then? Why not do it now? I pray that we desire to have a multi-ethnic, multi-generational multi-background church coming together, worshiping the one true God. But I'm going to tell you, it takes us being uncomfortable and loving others that are not like us or want to be loved. It takes us living on mission every day where God takes you in your workplace, to Kroger. Are we ready to make disciples? And as I close, let me close with this. 
making disciples. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations, yes? Making disciples. It's both preaching the gospel, Romans 1.16 says, God uses the gospel proclamation for salvation. And he uses common, ordinary, untrained men and women to do that. Proclamation of the gospel, those who accept it, receive it, confess Lord Jesus as their Savior. Then you disciple them. So as we end, let's look at Matthew 28. The Great Commission usually is boiled down to verse 19, go and make disciples. But let's not leave out verse 18 because it impacts verse 20. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as we close. And I know this is an issue here, and maybe you've heard this stat. This is astounding. Barna released, maybe a couple years ago now, maybe a year ago, the stat that half of churchgoers are not familiar with the term Great Commission. That's an issue. I pray that that's not us, and that's not the way, church, because the Great Commission is what God commanded us to do. 28 of Matthew, verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, them being his disciples, his followers, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why is that important? All authority has been given to him. You go do this, and you can do this because I'm with you. That's the echo you see all throughout Scripture. God calls the unlikely, the untrained, the unqualified to do some amazing things because he is with them. Don't rely on yourselves. Rely on God. Be obedient to what he commanded us to do. And this is a three-part command, yes? Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. How are we doing, church? Let me close with this. Whatever God's laying in your heart this morning, maybe you're not at the point to where you love God yet. This is your opportunity. Maybe you've seen the love of God poured out to you for the first time. This is your opportunity to respond. I know when God's word is proclaimed, it doesn't return void. What's God doing in your heart? Maybe you just need to spend some time just saying, how have I been loving my neighbors? Maybe you need to repent for not loving your neighbors. Maybe you've been hating your neighbors. Let me leave us with this. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Let me pray for us. If God's laying anything on your heart you want someone to pray for, Pastor Taylor, or pray with, Pastor Taylor will be up front. We'd love to receive you. Just respond to what God's laying on your heart. This is your time to respond to God's word in a way that's glorifying in God and good for us. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, I'm so grateful for who you are. I thank you for this opportunity to gather 
with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, the only one that deserves our love and our praise and our adoration. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, Father. We thank you for calling us to yourself. We thank you for just the grace that you've given us. Father, I pray you lead us in a way that loves others well, that reflects your love for us to those around us that are hurting, who are, who are currently separated from your love, who are searching for something more. Father, help us and lead us to be uncomfortable and to reach those who need you so desperately. Father, let us count it a joy and a privilege to love you, to know you, and to make you known. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we pray this in the most wonderful and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus.